yesterday, some of you were singing and going, man, did Gwen beat you up? Your eye looks swollen, you know? And if you didn't notice, yesterday I was doing some work outside, and all of a sudden, nobody had to say, run! Because a group of wasps wanted a hold of me, and they got me right here in the eye. Now, how does it apply to my message today? I'm going to be speaking about David and Goliath in a few minutes. And we know the story about David and Goliath because a stone hit him. We don't know, do we? But somewhere right in here probably that wasn't protected. And let me tell you, the title of this series, and I want you to remember it because it's so unique, a living dog is better than a dead lion. How many people have ever heard a series of messages called that before? I didn't think so. It comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4 that says, Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. This morning you have to believe that you were born to achieve great things. As long as you're breathing, you have the possibility, keyword there, possibility of success in your life. And why do I say success? I mean prosperous in all areas of your life, totally whole. Now, there's, there's something about, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that the, the people of God shouldn't be blessed or prosperous or, or whatever. But let me tell you, where does that come from? If you really know the Bible, the Bible again and 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 again talks about the believer being prosperous because the Spirit of God lives in us. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that says we have the mind of Christ. So many times that we think that the, the believer ought to be kind of beaten down and humble and poor and we just walk around kind of milly mouse. Let me tell you, that is not in the Word of God. So this morning, I want you to see that this morning, no matter what you've come from, where you are right now, if you pass the test, here's the test, ready? It's a hard one. If you can fog up a mirror by your breath, you're in. If you are breathing, you are better off than all the people that are dead. You have hope that when you die, there is no second chance. There is no, you know what, I wish I could do it over. I, I wish I could go back and be a better husband, a better father. I wish, I, I wish I'd be a better student. I wish I would have got off the couch a little bit more. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have, no, no. Once we are dead, we're done. The passage of Scripture, again, anyone who's among the living. How many people are among the living? Let me see your hands. Okay, some of you, I'm not raising my hands for nothing. Anyone who's among the living has hope. Can you just help me out by confession by saying, I have hope. I have hope. If you're among the living, you have hope. And it says even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. So this morning, I don't know where you came. I don't know what mama said or daddy said or didn't say. I don't know what somebody told you. I don't know if you went through a painful uh, sickness in your life. I don't know if you went through a divorce in your life. I don't know. But you have hope this morning. Hope. And to believe that you were born, that you can be a success in every area of your life is not too much to think about. Now, now again, allow this morning the Word of God just to just kind of be 
um, uh, and, uh, maybe a, a marination. Just kind of marinate in the Word of God. Do you know what I mean? Just soak up the Word of God and how the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message. Now, now, I want you to think about this because a lot of times when someone says, you have hope to be successful, you go, I know what I'm going to do. I, I'm 75. I'm 105 years old. I've got all this experience. I got a quote for you from Mark Twain that says, it ain't what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so that gets you in trouble. And sometimes we have learned bad habits in our life. We, we've learned how to look at things in our paradigm, how we look through our lenses, and we go, that's, don't, you can't talk me up. But you're looking at it maybe totally different than what the Word of God says about us and you in your life. Now this morning as we talk about David and, and especially the part of his life through this series today about David and Goliath, a lot of us are already getting to the point where we go, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Already been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But I want you to see this. David was a man just like you, or a woman just like you. You know, he, he was human just like us with strengths and weaknesses. We are all built with greatness in mind. Now, let me tell you, when we talk about this story that's so many times popular, and I wanted to start with this in the series, is it's not how he fought, but it's how he thought that made him a success. Now, see, some of us will read that story and we say, Pastor, I've heard that before, but I don't know really how that applies to my life. Should I get a rock and put it in a slingshot and watch my boss and hit him in the forehead with it? Is that what you're saying? No. I want you to see, he had a way of thinking that began to attract people that were around him, that came around him, that had so much potential and talent, but when they came, when they came to him, they were a little raw. Just like all of us at one time in our life. We're a little unpolished. But when they came around and began to see David as the king, and, and even before he was a king, he, he attracted people and began to show them a different way of thinking. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that today. I, I love the thought that from the time of the judges, you know, Samson and Gideon and all those guys that were judges, they were, they were mighty men. But from the time of the judges, all the way now through Samuel and Saul and now David, you don't see any mighty men of God. But from David, just in his lifetime, David, they said, had 37 mighty men of God. You say, well, what was a mighty man? What was it? It was really giving them that label by the exploits that they did. Now, it's great to have a label on your, you know, lapel that says, I'm a mighty man. But if you're like me, you want to say, well, why are you my man? Let me give you three. It says that David had a mighty man called Joseph Bashepapath. It's spelled just like itself. It's okay if you're writing it down. He was the chief of the three, and at one time he raised his spear against 800 men who he killed in one encounter. Now back then they didn't have machine guns or pistols, but let me tell you, this guy was a weapon of mass destruction. A mighty man. The second guy was Eleazar. 
Now, he, he was an amazing man because at one time they go into battle and everybody around him flees for their life. All the other Israelites, but Eleazar stands his ground. Now, I love this because he stands his ground and he begins to fight the enemy to the point where it says that his sword freezes to his hand. He was a mighty man. The third one I want you to know is the name of Shemal. He stands his ground in a place that had lentils. Now, now what, what does that mean? That means the author of writing this down wanted people to know that this wasn't fictional. Oh yeah, I know where that field is. It was actually a physical place. And this guy, again, when everybody else around him fighting fled, he stood his ground and defeated the enemy, and it says that the other parts of the army never came back to him except just to strip the dead. In other words, to get all the wealth off of the dead. I'll mention a fourth one. It's amazing when you think one of his mighty men, it says one of his exploits was that he went down in a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Can you imagine if his friend called him up and said, Hey, you want to go kill some lions? Done that. Well, we're going to do it in a pit. Been there. While it's snowing. I'm in! <laughs> Talking about a guy who was a mighty man. And, and these men began to be uh, inspired, not expired, inspired by David. And he began to attract these guys because I believe... If you're taking notes, write down this. There are four kinds of thinking that successful people have that I want to encourage you this morning, September 17, 2017, to put a stake in the ground and say, you know what, I'm going to start applying this kind of thinking in my life. Now, now why do we do that? We know that the people that are around us, there, there's a ripple effect. We talked about it last week. A high-value target. Why is that? Because we have influence wherever we go as believers. If you're a husband, you have it over your wife and, and vice versa. If you have children, over your children. If you have grandma and grandpa, that not too many people want to be called that, meemaw, peepaw, opaw, whatever you are called, you know, all the influence that we have over our family. Four kinds of thinking that David had that I want you to take note of today. And you say, God, I know that I'm breathing, therefore I have hope. And I can do this. No matter what kind of things that I have in my past, I can unlearn those things and begin to apply these things to my life. Now, I want to warn you that nobody says to yourself, oh, I know how to do that. I want you to listen to these things if it's the first time that somebody has diagnosed you and says, you don't have much hope working in your life right now. Well, I think I do. No, no, no. Don't have that. Just say, what is it that I need to do? Almost like a prescription that a pharmacist would write out and say, here's the, the medicine for you. I want you to look at it this way. Now, the first thing that I want you to write down is a different kind of person is the, the ability to have faith thinking. Number one, faith thinking. When you think about David and Goliath, you know the story that, that one army is camped on the top of this mountain over here, this hill, and the enemy, the Philistines, are on the other hill. 
There's a ravine that's down in the middle that actually runs for quite a while, and at the mouth of that ravine, it opens up more. They're right there. The story is that for 40 days, that Goliath has come out twice a day and yelled up at the Israelites, You bunch of cowards, send one guy to fight me. If he beats me, we will serve you. And if you beat me, then Philistines will serve the Israelites. Forty days the enemy came out and yelled at him. Can you apply that to your life today? Because if you're a faith thinker, you're going to think different than a person that is walking in fear constantly in your life. The men of Israel, the army that was there when David shows up, he's just a, really a delivery boy. And some people laugh and say, he's a pizza boy. Pizza delivery boy. Why? Because he was bringing bread and cheese to the army. That's pizza, in it? And here he comes, and when he gets there, he hears this guy, and he goes down to the battle lines and says, what? The men of Israel, the army, were fear thinkers, but David was a faith thinker. Now watch the difference. Faith thinkers think and dwell on the reward. Help me out. Say reward. Ready? Reward. Say it again. Reward. I want you to focus on that today. The reward. Faith thinkers focus on the, and dwell on the reward, but fear thinkers dwell on the possible consequences. I'm going to say something I'll say at the end of the message. Realize that sometimes God will put a Goliath in your life for you to find the David within you. And the question is, will you be ready when that happens? Because the whole army, when David arrives, is trembling in fear at this guy that's down in the valley yelling up at him, come on, come on, come on down. Now I want you to see the difference because in 1 Samuel 17... Verse 25, here's what happens. David shows up and he's just a young guy. He's been out as the shepherd of his father's flock. His brothers are already at the battle. They are part of the army. And David shows up and he hears this and he hears just a piece of it. The reward. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop again. Come on, come on back. Back that up a little bit. And it says this. It says, David asked the men standing near him. I love this part. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And then he defines the guy, the problem. He says, who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defile the armies of the living God? And it says, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now, now get this. They repeated to him. So David is asking and asking. And they are repeating what they've already up and down the battle lines have been saying is going to be the reward. I, I want you to see this as revelation. Let me back up. In the New Testament, Paul understands a new church is getting, the, getting it. He, he knows that they're understanding about God. And he says, Every since I heard that you were believers in God, I prayed that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in order to know God better. That you might understand the hope, the calling that you've been called to. That you might understand that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Okay. So here's David, and he's saying, repeat it again, repeat it again. 
Now listen, he's focusing on the reward, but also he's getting people to verbally say what the reward's going to be. Fear thinkers will expect the devil to move. But faith is expecting Jehovah Jireh, my provider, to move. Now let me tell you, I'm going to preach myself happy. If you can't give me an amen every once in a while, I'm going to have to do it myself. Now let me tell you, let me say it again. Faith is expecting, or fear is expecting the devil to move, but faith is expecting our God to move on our behalf. That's a little bit better. Fear is obsessed with the consequences of failure. But faith is obsessed with the outcome of God's will in our lives. Can I remind you that failure is not the opposite of success, but part of it? Some of you go, wait just a minute. Whoa, 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 that's deep. Wow. Let me say it again. Failure is not the opposite of success, but it's part of it. If you have experienced failure and you're letting that be the end of it all, you're missing it. Forget the mistake and remember the lesson and move on. Some of us need to do something so great that our future self will thank us later. I worked on that quite a while for you to go, yeah, that's good. Come on now. (laughs) Pastor, what do you do all day? That's part of it right there. Think of those quotes that you can write down. Let me say it again. Some of us need to do something so great that our future self will thank us for it. In other words, five, ten years from now, you'll look back and go, wow, I'm so glad I did that. I walked in faith and not fear. I tried something that everybody else was going, yeah, you don't know, but what if that happens in your life? The consequences. Here's David. And he's charged by the reward. David asked, what's the reward? You know what they said? Great riches. Woohoo! That, that's enough. But then there's more. You will become nobility. What? Yeah, you'll marry the king's daughter. That's before Facebook and somebody says, could I see a picture first? I just just want to make sure. Maybe he's trying to do something because he can't get her married off. She was beautiful. And then it says that you'll be exempt from all taxes. In other words, that's another way of saying you'll have freedom. But listen, as they're repeating it to David, and we know that it's at least twice that they repeat it, what is all these rewards, I want you to catch this. All those soldiers that are hearing that and saying the reward, not one of them took Saul the king up on that reward. Have you stopped and thought about that? They would not walk in faith, but continually stay in fear. Now, now let me remind you, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, all the people of faith, you know, all these great acts of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, but in verse 6 it says, and without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him, come on now, must first believe that He exists, and that He rewards those that earnestly believe. 
Seek Him. See, that's revelation to somebody here today. They go, wow, I've never heard that. Listen to that last part again. That He exists. Ready? Get your pens out. Write it down. And that He rewards those that earnestly seek Him. See, the question a lot of us need to answer is, not do you believe in God, but it's, do you believe that He's a rewarder of those that seek Him? So, whoa, 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 whoa. See, David says, I believe it. Come on, bring on the problem. If you're doing the same thing that you did five years ago, and you think, well, you know, I, I, I can do this without God. Really, what you're saying is, I don't need faith. And any time that fear comes into your life, again, you have the chance of shutting down the impossible working in your life because it, it takes an effort on your part. Again, what you're saying and what your body language and your action is. Faith thinking. The second thing that I want you to write down is the fourth kind of thinking that a person of success, a person that understands God would write down and say, this is what I exhibit in my life is this. This might be different than you thought of, but David is a forceful thinker. <laughs> Some people need to be forceful thinkers. And, and, and no one is encouraging David. If you know the story, he gets to the battle. Elib, his oldest brother, is saying, what are you doing here, you little peep squeak? That's in the Hebrew. Peep squeak. Okay, write it down. Just trying to keep you involved here. If you think about it, Saul says, you're just a little boy. You, you're just a lad. You could go against a mighty warrior. All the soldiers are not encouraging him because they're not going forward. They're not speaking faith. And even the enemy, when he gets on the battlefield later, will begin to speak trash back to him. Can, can I tell you this morning, if you're looking for someone that is not a believer, maybe even believers, sometimes if you're looking for someone to just encourage you to walk by faith, let me tell you, sometimes it's going to be hard. It takes something on the inside of us to be a forceful thinker, to, to, to continue to walk by faith. Listen to this. To push through your critics, this is something you need to write down. Never argue with stupid people. They will drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. Never argue with stupid people. Okay, everybody got that? I know we don't say stupid, but you know what? Never argue with stupid people. They will drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. I read that this week and I laughed for probably 30 seconds. Here's his older brother. And he has to feel bad because he wasn't picked for the king. Before the story of David and Goliath, if you go back, remember the story where Samuel comes to anoint a king from the, the family 
of Jesse. And he calls all the sons. And after all of them are, are turned down, don't you have anybody else? Yeah, there's this little guy out in the field. And he's brought in an anointed king. Well, you know his older brother has to feel bad. And then he sees this little guy show up on the battlefield and says, I know what you're here. You're here for bad reasons. You're here with a wrong motive just to see the battle. Now, now listen to this. He's got to feel bad that he wasn't picked to be the next king, right? Now listen, he has to be irritated that he's seeing somebody younger than him, his brother, attempting to walk out his destiny. Be careful as a believer. And I believe that this is why it's so important to be in part of this church today. Is because other brethren and sisterin, whatever, you know, will encourage us in the love of God. Thank you, Bruno, for that amen. Can I get another? All right. People that are jealous will always fight you from becoming what they won't take in their own life. Some of you need to realize you need to stay away from still people. You know what I mean? Still broke, still complaining, still hating, still nowhere. Those people that are always giving you advice, but they're not walking in faith, they're walking in fear, then they want to shut you down. Now listen, we're going to another level here, and I'm not talking about just being a bunch of mean people, but it's a, you can still walk in love and not allow somebody at work to speak into your life and call your identity. Say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not agreeing with you on that. Faith thinking, forceful thinking. The third thing is this. David was a four-dimensional thinker. This is, this is a critical one. It says this, David got, listen to this, it says in verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man that kills the Philistine and removes this grace from evil? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defile the armies of the living God? Now remember this, he has a fourth dimension. Everybody has three dimension. You know, two dimension is a comic book, flat, you know, on the, on the page. Three dimension is actually you can see somebody in 3D, you know. I can see you because we, yeah, okay. But fourth dimension is the spiritual realm. And as believers, we believe that there is a spiritual realm. There is a God. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Just because a person says, well, I don't believe in ghosts. I'm sorry. That doesn't cease to make it not exist. There's a fourth dimension. As a believer, we quote scriptures that are greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We believe that there's a fourth dimension called the spiritual realm. And he begins to remind the other soldiers about himself and the enemy, Goliath. Now, now watch this. It's going to be a revelation to some of you. Goliath is not blessed as an individual because he's not in the covenant of believers. Let me, let me just remind you. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it said, The Lord had said, Abram. Remember Abram? That's Abraham. This is where the covenant with Abraham comes into existence. Very important for you to realize. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. Now watch verse 3. This is something that everybody there on the army field or on the battlefield knew, but they had not put into action in their life. Verse 3. I will bless those that bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. What happened is every person that came from Abraham was a child of God. When Jesus Christ came into the world and died for you and me, everyone that puts their faith in Him and says, God, I make you Lord and Savior of my life, becomes a child of God, just like the Jewish people that were under the covenant and signed by circumcision in the men. I want to be sensitive kind of how I say this, but if you know what circumcision is, it was an actual visible sign, physical sign on the man that said that I am a believer. I'm cutting covenant with God Almighty. If you don't know covenant, let me just say this. It's stronger than a contract. Nobody would buy a a big item of thousands and thousands of dollars, maybe a house, nowadays with a handshake. I know it's sad, but people's word isn't what it used to be. So now we have this contract. How many people's ever closed on a house? And you think, good night. It's like a workbook, isn't it? Sign here, sign here, sign here. And they get all the little tabs. And you don't know what you're signing, but you make sure that you sign the right paper that says, that house is mine. (laughs) You're not going to come back and take it. But then a covenant is stronger because they would actually go into agreement and they would cut an animal that said pretty much as a sign, if anybody breaks this agreement, let this be done. So God cut covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Again, let me get to the point in verse 3. I will bless those that bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Circumcision was the covenant of the blessing upon the believer. It was the sign of the believer for protection, provision, and even multiplication. I'm going to bless you. Now watch this. Four-dimensional thinker. If Goliath is down there cursing me in the valley. Everybody with me? Put yourself there if you've got to think about the movies, whatever. But Goliath is in the valley yelling up at you. Cursing you. As a believer of God, he's cursing God. I want you to see this. It's more than a medical procedure to be circumcised. It was a sign of the covenant, and he's saying, that guy isn't in the covenant. And, he, and you think about it, he's looking around in the army, he says, tell me again, what, what is the reward? And they're telling him, guys, can, can you tell me again what the reward is? Is it? Because all these guys are up here that are scared, and David is getting mad. Does not anybody? Matter of fact, when Elib says, What are you doing here? He goes, Is not there a cause? Like, does not, is there anybody that's getting this that he is cursing God? A four dimensional thinker. The problem that you choose not to face is mocking you and your God. You're a covenant believer. Let me 
let me just stop here because I, b- I believe that some, sometimes the application is so critical. If you're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak and filter this message to you, there, there's things that are going off in your mind. What you're dealing with that you're going through. But if you're not, let me just add one that you can start thinking of. As a church, we all have individual parts that we're working on and in our journey and our life. But as a church, we're building two buildings on our west end. Let me tell you, there's a Goliath, an enemy, in in this world saying, you're not ever going to do that. And he's got this look on his face. You know know what I mean? You know, it'd be something if he's just down there like that. But he's got that look. You know what I mean? They always have the look. He always comes at night, a lot of times, and in the morning. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Anybody? And, and some of us, you know, you might be detached from the problem because you're not dealing with the buildings of the, of the church on a regular basis. And to some extent, you can step back and say, Go, John, go. Go, John, go. But let me just bring you all into the circle. <laughs> we can't do this without God. He didn't get it. We can't do it. I could try to convince you we can't do it, but I'm going to be a faith thinker and a forceful thinker, a four-dimensional thinker and say, if God be for us, who can be against us? So, so watch this. It is so important for you to understand this. We're going to choose to face the problems of lack of money, lack of resources, lack of permission and authority from the city of war. All those things, they're not the enemy. It's in the spiritual. We do not war against flesh and blood or I'd be going down there with a stick. You know what I mean? I tell you, we've got a church full of people that will come down here. We don't war against flesh and blood but against Satan and the enemy. So this morning, you're, you're not looking at your husband going, i got a sermon for you. No. If we could see our protection and our provision in the, in the spiritual realm, if, if we could just open up our... If God would allow us just to see in the spiritual realm, we would never walk in fear again. But because we can't, we have to believe by faith. I believe that there are angels on assignment for us. Begin to walk in a new way of thinking. When when I think about this, here's little David, and he gets anointed to be king. And, And when he gets anointed to be king, he doesn't go try on crowns. He goes back to the pasture. But here's what's amazing is when he shows up on the battlefield, he realizes I'm anointed to solve the problem. And he looks down there and a guy that's saying all these curses, all of a sudden he chooses to step in his destiny. Listen, a head full of fears has no place for dreams. Can I say it again? A head full of fears has no place for dreams. One of the strategies of Satan is to overload us with problems in the natural realm so we forget God is even with us. Can anybody agree with me on that? That's John Miller. 
If I'm not careful, I'll get all these little problems. That person's my problem. That circumstance is my problem. I can't, if I could just correct that problem, if I could be, and then all of a sudden I feel the pressure because, you know, Pastor John said, I, well, that's me. I'm anointed to solve the problem. But I get all these little problems. And the day comes when God says, taps me on the shoulder, you know that I'm here, right beside you. God, I'm so glad you're right beside me. Listen to David's view of reality. And again, it's so important because it's going to come out of your mouth. You're going to demonstrate it in your body language and your actions. It says this, David said to the Philistine, he's talking to the problem. I give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, let's see, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Those three parts of weapons. He says, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Do, do, do you realize, I'm not coming against you with any weapon. That Really, my weapon is God. Hear that? This day the Lord will deliver you in my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you the carcasses, give it the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God of Israel. There, there's a purpose here. Not so that David will be known as a great warrior. But it says this. All, and the lights went out. Alright, here we go. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And He will give all of you into our hands. And it says, as the Philistine moved closer, as the problem came closer to attack David, what did he do? He ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. I, again, I want you to see, a four-dimensional thinker will be, the reality will come out of their mouth. Their reality. Lisa mentioned that in our confession this morning during worship. It is something that comes out of our mouth. Now, sometimes people will say, well, Pastor, I don't even feel like that, but I say that, you know, I don't know. Let me tell you, you can't be lying if that's what God says over your life. If you go by feelings, you'll walk in fear and not in faith. Let me ask you, do you believe in a spiritual realm? The fourth one is this, and I'll wrap it up. This is something that came to me and when I heard this, I thought, wow. David was a fresh thinker. Now, now, what I mean by that is he was able to constantly look at a problem in a fresh way of thinking. You ever heard yourself say, well, we don't do it that way around here. Now, I don't mean about in the church. I just mean the way that you do life. That's just the way I do life. Some of us need to realize we need a new characteristic in thinking and it's a fresh way of thinking. Now let, me, let me just show you this real quick. David killed a bear and a lion before Goliath, right? You remember the story? It says, when they came against the flock, I want you to ask yourself, did you ever think about how he defeated those problems? What, what did he use? Because when he goes to Saul and Saul says, you're too little to do it, he gives him this testimony of experience. He says, well... 
And he goes into verse 34, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came out, carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, I rescued the sheep from its mouth, and when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Isn't that a hoot? But but what would you say? Let, Let me continue. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And then he goes into the uh, circumcision. I'm going to kill this guy, this old Philistine. He says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of the Philistine. So what weapon of choice would you say David would have used in that battle with the lion and the bear? Maybe a knife? Let's, let's say maybe a club? He sees his... He can smell its bated breath, man. That's how close he is. Then later it says, this is later on in his life. Let me just show you this. It says that when the women began to see how powerful David, do you remember they sang songs that made Saul jealous? You remember the song, Saul's killing his thousands, David's is tens of thousands. What weapon comes to your mind when he's killing tens of thousands of the enemy soldiers? What kind of weapon? Maybe a sword? Now, now think about this, because this is going to change your life. You need a fresh thinking. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you will change. This, this is good. If he is used to using maybe a club or knife on the, the lion, he shows up to the battle and he begins to see the situation where everybody else in the army could have been thinking, are you kidding me? If I get a knife, he's got a bigger knife. If I've got a sword, he's got a longer arm kind of like a boxer with a longer reach. If I got a spear, he's got a bigger spear, and he's stronger, and he can throw it. But watch this. We have no proof that David was a master with the slingshot. We've, we've always thought that. You've heard sermons from me that maybe during the times that he was out on the pasture, he was practicing his sling, Right? That's just assumption. We have no proof of that. But what we do know, that he was a four-dimensional thinker, and he was a fresh thinker, and he gets in here, and all of a sudden he might even start laughing. That big guy brought a knife to a gunfight. I'm going to take my slingshot, and I'm going to go down there. He won't even see the slingshot. I'll just have the shepherd's staff in my hand, and he won't take me serious. Now, how can I say that? Because if you read it, the first thing out of glass mouth is, am I a dog? That you would come against me with a little boy with sticks? David's going, (laughs) you ready to hear some fresh thinking? And before he knew it, Goliath blinked once and died in the dark because of a fresh way of thinking. Somebody that came on the scene and everybody else is thinking, I can't do it, I can't do it, I only got a spear, I only got a sword, I, I got a knife, I can't, and he's too big. And it's exactly what he had faith for. I, I believe, let me just say this in conclusion. When you understand to be a person that has faith thinking, a forceful thinker, a four-dimensional thinker, and a person that can think, Fresh, fresh thinking. I believe that Christians ought to be at the top of every category 
in the world that we live because we have the mind of Christ. Come on now. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us as believers, that we don't tell God how big our mountain is. We tell our mountain how big our God is. Sometimes, God will put a glass in your life for you to find the David within you. Now this morning, right where you're at, I want to remind you that if you're breathing, you have hope. And if you have hope in our God, there's nothing too hard for you. Let's pray. God, you're a wonderful Father. And God, I just thank you for this message today that you gave me that I shared faithfully to the people that I love. And Father, I just pray right now that God, that as people heard this word, some of us got revelation for the first time how to handle situations that we're going through. And Father, now, as we begin to apply, as we work your word, as we apply it, that we're not just hearers, but doers of your word, that God, that we begin to see breakthrough happen in areas that we've been praying for for maybe months and years. God, we thank you for that. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.